All right, let's read the Bible together. Today's reading comes from Matthew 11, verses 1 to 11. So if you've got a Bible handy, it would be great um, to grab that now, but it will also come up on the screen. Matthew 11, 1 to 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you... What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of God. Hey everyone, Um, great to be with you guys again. And just wanted to add my welcome. It's really um, just nice seeing you guys here each uh, week and even seeing some of you guys on Thursday nights in the art class, and the stretch class, and the pub trivia. Um, And like Mel said, yeah, next week, looking forward to seeing you again for an improved uh, pub trivia, hopefully even bigger and better than last time, so that'll be great. And welcome, especially this morning, if you are joining us for the first time, maybe it's nine weeks of lockdown, you're willing to give anything a try, even church, and so if that's you, we hope uh, you feel like it was worth your while tuning into the stream this morning as we get into, yeah, this, this passage that Mel just read to us now. We're living in an age where everything needs to be questioned. We're in the information era, as I'm sure you all know, where we each have in our possession, in fact, even right now, each one of you is using a device that grants you access to more information than any other person has had at any point in history. You can find out in five seconds roughly how many litres of water there are in the ocean. You can learn the birth date of any celebrity. You can see images, videos of things happening on the other side of the world. But also, I guess a bit more recently, we're also living in the era of mass misinformation, which is a bit more, I guess, relatively new, where every day, every single one of us encounters information that is not true. Most of us have developed, I guess, filters, even just intuitively, to brush that away. So when you get an email saying that you've got some Bitcoin in your account that you know, has just appeared there, um, you just ignore it. You know it's not real. Even as I was, literally as I was writing this paragraph of this talk, I got a phone call supposedly from Amazon asking me for my credit card details so they could refund an iPhone that I'd supposedly purchased. But we know intuitively that these things aren't true. But people do get tricked, and maybe even some of you have had the experience where you've had the role reversal of having to tell your parents who once told you not to believe everything you see on TV that now they shouldn't believe everything they see on the internet. No, Hugh Jackman is not asking you to join his pyramid scheme. No, the voting machines in America weren't rigged. No, Bill Gates didn't create coronavirus to give you microchips. But sometimes, and I think increasingly so I'm finding, is you see stuff that you're not really sure if it's true or not. 
this week, in light of everything happening in Afghanistan, I saw an angry post that someone had put up that had a, a picture of Australian troops driving through Afghanistan with a Nazi flag. And I thought, you've been tricked. Like, you're getting angry about nothing. There's no way Australian troops would have had a Nazi flag in Afghanistan. So I, but I did a bit of research just to be sure. And it turns out it was true that happened. But we find ourselves in these situations now that we're getting information that we don't know what to make of. We don't even know if it's true or not. So we question it. And it's not just a matter of questioning things on social media. We're a generation that, that really wants to, I think, question nearly everything we've been handed from our parents' generation. We question ap approaches to looking after the environment. We, we question approaches to education, to work-life balance, to, to gender roles in the home, to diet, to how money should be spent, to how politics should work. We, we don't want to be a people who just take things for granted without questioning them. And in this environment, it's not at all surprising that, that many of us find ourselves at different points asking questions of our faith. Particularly, I guess, maybe those of us who have grown up in the church or around the church or have been you know, a Christian for a while. We don't want to be gullible and we don't want to be fooled. And so because of that, doubt and, and deconstruction, which would be another word for it, is on the rise in the church. David Kinnaman of Barna Group Research that researches things of faith across the world has shown that 60% of people raised in, by Christian churches deconstruct their faith at some point after high school. And that's not necessarily 60% of people leaving the faith altogether, but asking questions of it, having to go through a process of working out what, what is really true. What do you really believe for yourself? Many of you will have seen social media posts, either of people you know or I guess people that are kind of famous in the Christian world, describing how they've gone through a process of questioning their faith and now no longer believe what they used to. Maybe there are people that you care about right now who are doubting and who are not sure whether or, or what they believe. Maybe you yourself are doubting. Maybe the last couple of years out, out of having kind of regular time in community on Sundays and in, during the week and, and spending more time online under the, I guess, gloomy cloud of the pandemic has opened up space for you to wrestle with a lot of questions you'd been putting off. So this is an issue we want to be addressing as a church. Um, and it's an issue that Jesus touches on multiple times throughout his ministry, but, but he touches on it here in the passage that was just read to us by Mel. As we see John the Baptist, someone that many people might think of as a man of great faith, experiencing what can only be described as doubt. So we're going to be unpacking that together now. I'm just going to pray as we do this that God would actually be speaking to us and helping us in this time. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would be opening our eyes to see you and that you'd be helping us and you'd particularly be helping those of us who find it hard to see you at the moment. We find it hard to believe that you would in fact speak to us or would be speaking to us now. We find it hard to believe that that these words are maybe even true. We ask that you, the God who made us and who knows us and who loves us, would be speaking to us by your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll read that first bit of the passage again. As we see this account of John the Baptist doubting, it says from verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So this is John the Baptist who, if you were with us 
back when we were meeting in the high school, we saw um, as, as the, this one that came before Jesus announcing, preparing the way, declaring to the people that God's chosen king, the Messiah, was going to come. He met Jesus. He baptized him. He saw, that, he saw heavens, the heavens open as God basically said, this is my son whom I love, uh, whom I'm pleased with. But that's some time ago, and since that point he's been arrested for speaking out against King Herod, which we're going to see a bit more in a few weeks' time. And he's been put in prison. And it's in prison that he sends a message to Jesus via his disciples where he says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So what do we make of this question? I think the most obvious thing we can make of it, with whatever else is in there, is that it reveals pretty obviously that John, who was once confident that Jesus was the Messiah, is now not so sure. Something has shifted in him. He's not as confident as he once was. He's doubting. That's the word for that. He's questioning. Is Jesus who he thought he was? Maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah. Maybe he's just a guy. Maybe John's made the biggest mistake. He's backed the wrong horse and he's made a mistake. And we can see, I guess, what's brought John to this point of doubt. I think we can see, um, see a thread that I guess probably runs through many of the doubts that follows of Jesus' experience from time to time. We see that John's circumstance and what he's seen differs from what he expected. When what we expect from God differs from reality, often rather than questioning whether our expectations were right, the first thing we do is we question God himself. So look with me about what's happened for John. John expected a Messiah, but he expected a particular type of Messiah. He expected that Jesus would come, this kind of holy leader who would rally the people liberate the Jewish people from their oppression and restore glory to the kingdom of Israel. That's what everyone was kind of waiting for in Israel at the time. But reality has played out differently. It says that what prompted this was seeing the deeds of the Messiah. And we've just been out in this passage for the last few weeks, this, this section, where Jesus is spending a whole heap of time with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is not, is not what John expected. He doesn't fast like John and his disciples. He doesn't seem that holy. And he hangs out with people who are not the type of people you would expect the Messiah to hang out with. And on top of that, we see that this question comes from prison. John's situation has deteriorated rapidly. He's in jail. He's suffering. He's got no hope of getting out, held captive by a king who has no problem cutting off people's heads. And that, that culmination of, of, of issues, Jesus not being who he expected, his life not going how he expected has made these doubts come up. Often doubts arise because our circumstances don't match our expectations of what God will do for us. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, says, Our faith in Christ wavers not so much when real arguments come against it as when it looks improbable. When the whole world takes on that desolate look which really tells us more about the state of our passions and even our digestion than our reality. The point he's making is that we often think of ourselves as these kind of genius computers that only think logically and view the world rationally. But more than we would care to admit, how we're feeling, how we're going mentally, physically, emotionally, can make us question things about our beliefs. He even lists digestion. Like how many of you, if you're being honest, have had a time when you've even had like gastro or food poisoning and when you've just been sitting there, you've just felt like God has left you. When you're in that kind of pain, that agony. Like, I don't know, it's weird like, to put that in the quote, but I, I think that's what he's getting at. Um, our, our, our physiology can affect how we feel about God. It can make God seem distant. 
I wonder if most of you guys can relate to this at some point in your life. I think sometimes we kind of talk about like mountaintop experiences as, as Christians. These kind of moments where you have an encounter with God where he's just so clear, so vivid. You don't doubt for an instant that he's there. Maybe that's when you've become a Christian. Or maybe that's when you're at a church service and the worship music is just amazing. You can feel it in your body. Or you're at a conference with just an amazing sermon that just speaks into your soul. Or when you're actually literally on a mountain and you're just looking out at creation and the vastness and the glory that is there. Or you witness the birth of a child and you just feel God, could, God is there. He's with me. He's there right now. But I think just as often, and in many ways, maybe we're not as prepared for these moments, we have valley experiences as followers of Jesus. Where we have to walk through a time and a season where things are dark. Where you can't see God as being right there. It doesn't feel like he's there. In fact, the evidence seems to be completely out of sight. If I'm being honest about me, I've, I reckon I've had three significant seasons of doubt and darkness as, as a follower of Jesus as an adult. One when I was 19, one when I was 24, and one when I was 29. So that's every five years I worked out this week. So I'm due for one when I turn 34 in a couple of years' time. And while there's like, different stuff have been going on, and each of those times I've had questions like, is God, is God there? Is this real? Have I been tricked? These are the kind of questions that go through my head. They've always come at times when my circumstances have been off, like struggling with mental health, or depression, or something else hard is happening in life. And my most recent experience of this was as only as recent as the beginning of last year, just when we were starting to hear uh, about COVID-19 for the very first time in January. We were in the process of ending a church community that we'd started in Burwood only 12 months before. And some of you guys watching were, were there with us in the thick of this. It was a really unpleasant time. We, we'd said goodbye to a community at Balmain, me and my wife Sarah. We'd gone and prayerfully started something new, sacrificed a lot, poured a lot in, just to have a set of circumstances that meant that the, the only real option was to have it end. And there were so many hurts in that. We felt hurt. We witnessed other people feeling hurt. It was profound, a profoundly disappointing experience. And what that left me with was this sense of, is this what God does? If this is how it goes, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God's not with us at all. Maybe he's not even there. That's how I felt. And some of you can relate to this, like some of you specifically to that situation because you're there with us in that situation. But, but I know others of you have been let down by other churches. You've maybe been let down by a Christian institution or by a Christian leader. That can leave you doubting when you're like, that's not how it's meant to work with God, is it? Or maybe you've experienced really prolonged depression or anxiety where happiness feels like a distant memory, or maybe something that's not even there at all. Or maybe work at the moment is just sapping your soul. You don't want the job you've got. There's no real other option that you can think of. And it just doesn't feel worth going through. And you're like, is this what God has put for me in my life? Or you're single, and you don't want to be single, and you're hating it. Or you're married, but your marriage isn't going well, and it's not bringing you any happiness at all. And you question, like, is this, is this God's plan? It doesn't feel like there's a God if this is what my life's doing. Often our doubts can be pegged to a situation. Like with John, when things aren't going the way we, we thought they would, we would expect they would if God is in the picture. Doubt is rarely, if ever, a pleasant experience to feel that God has left you or he hasn't been there at all. That the thing you hoped in might not be what you thought. That's what John's going through here. That's, that's the, the heart, that's the experience behind this question. It's not just an academic question that John's putting forward. He's wondering if he's in prison for nothing. Is Jesus even the Messiah? 
Look at Jesus' response. In verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. There's a bit to unpack in Jesus' answer to John here. He tells John's disciples to take him back this message, to, to report what they see. And each of these lines that Jesus then says is a reference to a part of the Old Testament called the book of Isaiah, written 400 years before Jesus, basically laying out what people should expect in terms of this Messiah, this King who would come. But it seems that these descriptions hadn't really been lodged in public opinion quite as much as the idea of this you know, military leader liberation movement. But what Jesus is saying is, look, even though I'm not what you expected in terms of kind of bringing around this kind of revolution, I am the real deal. I'm actually doing what, what you should have been expecting, which is spending time with the poor, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. So he's saying, don't get tripped up by your expectations not being met because I'm still real, I'm still right, you were right to bank on me. And then he says this interesting line, which is, you know, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This word stumbled is from this Greek word uh, scandalizo, which is kind of where we get the words like you know, scandalous or, or a scandal. So it's got this kind of double meaning of don't, don't trip over it, but also don't be offended by it. He's really saying, look, don't be offended. Don't get caught up by the reality. Don't have your faith, I guess, knocked off course by the fact that my ministry, this is Jesus speaking, is one of, of being humble and lowly, of spending time with the poor, of, of spending time with the destitute. It's not necessarily that impressive. And so kind of in this response, I guess we see sort of two things Jesus is saying to the doubter, which is, I mean, firstly, look, I know what you're feeling, but, but look at the evidence. Look at what's there. He says to John, look, the blind do receive sight, the lame walk. I am the Messiah. You are right to trust in me, even if things don't look like they're playing out right at the moment. Look at the evidence. Look at what's there. And that would be the encouragement I think he would give to us in this as well. But then secondly, he says, don't stumble because of that. Don't stumble because the evidence doesn't match up exactly with what you want or with what you expect. And that's kind of a bit of a harsh answer in some ways, but it's the answer that he gives. He's saying... Sometimes trusting will mean seeing who Jesus is and knowing what he has done, but having to actually expand our understanding of what life with him might look like to include even things like the possibility of prison and death. I think this is actually a really helpful thing that can happen with a process of doubting and asking questions is that we're forced to actually reshape our thinking around who God is. Sometimes when what comes to mind when we think of God or we think of Jesus isn't necessarily how God or Jesus present themselves. Sometimes the journey of faith means shedding misconceptions or misunderstandings that maybe we've been taught or we've picked up along the way. To actually come to a place of having a clearer picture of reality and of God and who he is. Sometimes doubt is the process of, of coming to the hard but important realization that that. Um, that God won't bend himself to what we want, but he asks us to bend ourselves to him. That's kind of like how, you know, if you've got a pot plant that's outgrown its pot, that our experience of doubt might be the kind of uncomfortable thing of being, being lifted out of something which is small and confining and being put into a, a bigger pot where we've got 
space to grow and to thrive and be more full than we've been up until this point. That's, that's what I, I guess, take from Jesus' answer anyway. That he's saying, John, the evidence is there. You can trust me, but you need to understand that maybe that's different to what you expected. Now, I wonder if you were there in this time, in Jesus' day, kind of watching this interaction as John's disciples come, ask Jesus, he gives them the answer. What might you be thinking about, about John? Maybe you'd be thinking, this is really discouraging. John's fallen. He's lost his face, faith. He used to be Jesus' supporter, but now he's not even sure if Jesus is the Messiah. Everything's kind of gone wrong. Maybe Jesus is going to now condemn John for his weak faith for asking a question that should be so obvious, for not believing as hard as he should. But I want to look now at what Jesus then says next in verse 7. He says, the passage says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus says this, I think, in kind of anticipation of anyone getting the wrong idea now about John, thinking like he doesn't have enough faith or something like that. What Jesus says is, like to everyone who's gone and seen this guy, John, what did you go and see? An ordinary person? No. Like, a, a, you know, someone as great as a king? No. But even better, you've seen the best guy that's ever lived, is basically what he's saying. And then he has in like brackets, then everyone who follows Jesus after is also great as well. But the idea is that you know, John is upheld here. John is affirmed, even though he's just been open about this doubt he's experiencing. And I think there might be this idea, maybe in some like Christian circles or churches, that, that doubt and faith can't coexist. That somehow doubt is the opposite of faith, and it's kind of it's, you've got to kind of stomp it down because it's going to like ruin your faith. But it's not. I think that's something we see in this passage. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. Unbelief is is a willful rejection of the claims of Christianity, saying no, I'm not going to believe that. It's not true. But that's not necessarily doubt. Doubt is to question, and doubt can be the means of actually going about and growing into a healthier, deeper faith. Like often people you might meet who are maybe a bit older have been walking Jesus for a while, the, the, the depth of faith they have is often born of, of times of doubt and trial and challenge. There's an analogy that, that, um, that this uh, writer that I love, Oz Guinness, uses about doubt. He says it's kind of like getting an, an inoculation or a vaccination. And we're all getting COVID vaccinations at the moment. Um, it should be. Go out, go out and get one. There's a few around apparently now. Um, I had my AstraZeneca a couple of weeks ago. It was great. One of the most exciting things is I've done in months, like being a real risk taker. Um, but, but not to put you off, because you really should get one. But, but getting that vaccine walloped me for 24 hours. And I've chatted to about another like six, six guys now that also got their AZ vaccine. And for 24 hours after, you feel pretty rotten. You don't feel great. You're tired, you're nauseous, that kind of thing. Um, and that's to be expected, because that's kind of what you're going in for. Because what are you doing when you're getting a vaccination? And I'm not a doctor. Look, do your, do, do your own research. But you're getting at, I looked it up a little bit, with the AstraZeneca at least. It's like a, a broken down chimp cold virus with a bit of kind of COVID 
DNA a little bit in there to, that's going to trick your body into thinking you've got COVID when you really don't. So what your body can do is it can build up the defenses, the immune system can get going. Again, not a doctor, do your own research. <laughs> but, um, but your body can get ready. It's like it does a trial run for the real thing. And it's not pleasant. You still feel kind of a bit like you're sick, but you're not really sick. You don't actually have a real virus in you. Likewise, I think having some doubt can be the experience of, of having to, I guess, get ready for the fact that life is often hard. That there are going to be times where there are going to be challenges in following Jesus, where there's going to be opposition maybe, where people might confront you on it, where there might be things in your life that just don't match up with what you thought. Having a time of doubt and not pushing that away or ignoring it or pretending it's not there, but having space to ask questions, to, to go to God and, and seek him out, to, to discuss with other people um, your experience and to find out more can be preparing you for the remaining part of your life where you've got to keep trusting in Jesus. It can be an opportunity to strengthen your faith as John has taken here. We don't want to be a church full of people that have really fragile faiths, that can't, that can't encounter the challenges that people will mount against Christianity. We don't want to have faith that, that, that crumble in the presence of hardship and suffering because there is hardship and there is suffering. But rather, we want to have people who can think and wrestle and pray and arrive at a deeper sense of God's love for us. So I want to speak to you, if you're right at this moment, doubting. You're in a place of doubt at the moment. There's a, a bunch of things I'd love to, to say to you, but I just want to go with three things, I think, just from this passage that I just encourage you to do in light of what we've read. Firstly, I want to encourage you to look at the whole picture. Like I said before, we, we often think of ourselves as these kind of like computers with bodies that if we think something, it's because we're logical and rational and, and, rational and reasonable. But we're not. We're not computers. We're people. We're spiritual beings walking around with physical bodies, subject to a gamut of changing emotions, living in a web of relationships. And how we think about God, how we perceive him, it's affected by everything going on around us. It's affected by how much sleep we've had. It's affected by how much exercise we've had or whether we've been quite sedentary. It's affected by whether we are feeling connected to other people or if we're feeling isolated. It's affected by whether we're enjoying God's creation or not or if we're just sitting in like a fluorescent lit room. It's affected by whether we're finding our work, and I mean work broadly, not just your you know, paid work, but just whatever you do during the day is engaging or whether it's kind of just mind-numbing. It's not surprising that John's doubts came to him in prison. And so it's not surprising that right now, the end of August, end of week nine in lockdown in Sydney, lots of people are probably feeling at a low point in feeling distant from God, kind of doubting. When we can't experience community, which the Bible says is essential in, in the book of Hebrews for the maintaining of faith, it's no surprise that we're going to be, our faith is going to feel a bit shaky. When you can't access the ocean or national parks because of the five-kilometer limits, when all work types, from whether you're a parent, whether you're a creative freelance music maker, whether you normally work in an office but now you're on your computer, whether you're in hospitality, whether you're trying to teach online, whether you're under, working in the health sector under pressure, Whatever you're doing, work is going to be requiring more from you at the moment and rewarding you less. When gyms, public pools, team sports are off limits, we're going to be feeling that as well. So if you right now are in a place where you are thinking, you know what, this faith that I've carried for years and has been great up until this point, 
I'm now thinking there's a whole bunch of reasons why this isn't true. I want to encourage you just to doubt your doubts for a moment. It's possible that what you're experiencing may not be just simply rational arguments leveled against the faith that you need to process logically, but it may be that you're experiencing some situational darkness. So don't ignore those doubts, but I'm just saying at least just be aware of everything else that's going on around you. We're embodied creatures. There might be other things con- contributing. And maybe come February, when hopefully we've seen family and friends over Christmas and can go to the beach and everything's a bit better, hopefully, maybe they won't just seem as strong. So just doubt your doubts. Look at the whole picture. But secondly, I want to encourage you to be honest with your doubts. When John doubted, he didn't just say to himself, like, yes, silly John, you should know better than this. Like, bottle it down, don't ask questions. He, you know, he, he wanted an answer. He, he sent out a question, even if that like, would have affected how people perceive him. And there can be this dynamic across Christian culture where, where, where doubts are suppressed and pushed down, or there's even some kind of shame attached to that, where we feel like, well, we don't have enough faith, so there's a problem there. But if John doubts, and if others of Jesus, even if his 12 disciples doubt, which they do, and we see in other parts in, in the Gospels, I think that at least gives us just enough of a framework just to know that at times a life of faith and doubt can go hand in hand. And it also helps us just know that Jesus is big enough to handle our questions. John's question didn't derail Jesus or or freak him out or or break him. So if you're struggling with doubt, I'd encourage you, firstly, just to reach out to God. Just to tell God how you're feeling. Just to even write some stuff down. There's been helpful stuff that actually Anna's put together in our hours with God that we've done at a few points, which if you haven't done them, get them, get, do them. If you've done them then, get them, do them again. But the lament section of just actually laying out to God what you're feeling can be really helpful. Some of that, I think the, the process of praying through doubt really often is the process of praying a lament. But secondly, reach out to us as, as a church. Reach out to people in your, in your small group, in your community group. Reach out via the Google form to us as the leadership. We'd love to be talking with you and walking with you through your doubts. Don't just bottle it down. Don't deny it. But finally, I'd encourage you, also from what John does, to seek the truth. I think there's this idea out there in, I guess, popular culture that questioning and doubting is authentic, but belief is naive. To be unsure about life is cool, but to have conviction is to be closed-minded. And so because of that, I think some people kind of like the idea of being in this kind of constant state of questioning. But while doubt has its place, and while there is doubt is something that will happen, doubt that is productive leads you to a place of truth. Doubt might be a stop on your journey, but it shouldn't be the destination. Jesus leads John back to the truth, to the fact that he is the Messiah that John awaits. And it's that conviction that John can get to that can ultimately give him hope to endure his suffering in prison. Don't make doubt the place you live indefinitely. Another guy who's written a book on doubt, John Ortberg, says to choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. And I've seen people walk away from Christianity, from a foundation that actually gives you a whole lot in terms of understanding what life is about and, and morality and meaning and community and, and, and joy, and have walked away from that but replaced it with nothing, just uncertainty. And the reality is these people aren't more happy and more fulfilled. They're empty. I encourage you, pursue the truth. Sometimes that pursuing the truth is actually going to require some searching and some thought. 
It's not necessarily going to fall into your lap. So one thing I've just done this week is I've put together a list of resources that I personally have found helpful in navigating seasons of doubt. And I encourage you to check them out. There's some books. Some of those can be audio book. There's some podcasts in there, whether you like to read or whether you like to listen. Um, and there will be actually a link that will come up in the comments section. I know some of you guys listen to this on the podcast. So it's www.citylightchurch.com.au forward slash doubt resources. If you want to rewind 15 seconds, re-listen to that, put it into your computer. But to actually open up some of those resources and, and look for truth because we don't want to be perpetually just stuck in doubt confused, not knowing what life is about, but we want to arrive in a place of truth and of life. So that's for those of you who are doubting. I just want to take one, maybe two more minutes just to speak to another group of you, which is those of you who have loved ones who are doubting, who are watching loved ones doubt, or maybe you've even watched people you care about walk away from the church. Over the, at some point, maybe over the last 10 years, or maybe it's more recent just over the length of time of this pandemic, you've seen people that you know seemingly take a step back from their faith. What I want you to know from this passage is that doubt isn't always the end of the story. A time of doubt and even a time of wandering can be a season that ends with people coming back to the faith. And it's because of this that we're going to be running a four-week series on doubt starting in October. And we were hoping that would be in the high school. Realistically, it will probably be online just like we're doing right now. And we're going to go ahead with it either way. But our prayer as a leadership of this church is that this will be a series that people who have been out of the church for some time, maybe they've been out of the church for years, maybe they've stopped in the, in the pandemic, will feel comfortable to, to come and tune in, to connect and listen and rethink their doubts in a context of love and understanding. And our hope is that they'll know about this and be able to tune in and connect and we'll, we'll have other ways of connecting with people if it is online as well because we're hoping they can do this because they're invited by you. So we're letting you know early. We've, we've still got a, a bit of a lead time into this. So you can be praying for and connecting with those whose stories are not over. You can be a friend to them or a sibling to them and encourage them to take time to consider some of the things that may have caused them to doubt. We'll be talking about hurts caused by the church. We'll be talking about problems with the Bible, about the issues of pain and suffering, and then ultimately how to find faith amidst doubt. So if there's someone that that would be helpful for, you can even let us know so we can be praying for them. Um, but I encourage you to start thinking, to start praying, to start pursuing, because we, we know that the reality is that this isn't the end of everyone's story. That we have a God who is good, who loves us, who reaches out into darkness to call us home. And we're going to be praying that's going to be happening in the, in the broader context of our church. So let's pray together now as we finish. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word and just thank you that you're a God who invites us to, uh, to know you, that allows us to question, who doesn't crush us when we ask questions, but who, who when these questions are in earnest, actually lifts us up and gives light and gives life. And we just ask for those who right now are in that place of darkness that you'd just be with, with us, that you wouldn't leave us in the darkness where we can't see you, but you would actually show us yourself by your word, by your creation, by, your, by this community of your people, that you would actually be holding on to us in this time. And Lord, we just pray for those that we know who we love, who are struggling to see you, maybe have decided that, that you are not there. We pray for opportunities for them to come to know you again. We pray that 
that even though we're in this situation where we're, we're locked down and things are hard, that we as a church would not just bunker down and wait it out, but we would be looking for opportunities to show you as the good God that you are to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.